The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. On the button. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grasso. Tim Seymour will join us in just a moment, we hope. Tonight on Fast, we're trading the tech wreck. The Nasdaq falling hard today with some of the biggest names in the market getting whacked. We'll break down how our traders are trading the sell-off. Plus, we are tracking the after-hours action and shares of Lyft. The ride-hailing company moving higher on the back of results. The company's call is underway. We'll bring you the trade. And later, the social slump. Social media stocks slammed again today. So is it time? To unfriend these names, we're digging in. But first, did Janet Yellen just put the market on notice that higher rates are coming? It may be that interest rates will have to rise somewhat to make sure that our economy doesn't overheat. And just hours later, the White House backed that up. You mentioned Secretary Yellen is coming on Friday. She said in remarks published today that it may be that school interest rates will have to rise somewhat to make sure that our economy doesn't overheat. Does President Biden agree with her? Uh, I think Pre- President Biden certainly agrees with his Treasury Secretary. Secretary Yellen later clarified her remarks, saying it's not something I'm predicting or recommending. If anyone appreciates the independence of the Fed, I think that person is me. But still, her comments got us thinking. Could higher rates be on the way? either through a change in Fed policy, perhaps pressure from the White House, or possibly a change at the top with Fed Chair Jerome Powell's term ending in February. Guy, what do you say? You know, we like the Shakespeare on this show, and I'm particularly fond of the Hamlet, and you recall Queen Gertrude. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. And what does that mean? It means... I, I'm questioning the sincerity out of all of these folks. And you mentioned that Jen Psaki backed up uh, the president's belief in his Treasury secretary. I mean, she basically just said, the, you know, the president agrees with the Treasury secretary. I'm not even sure she knew what the question was about, number one. Number two, <laughs> this all goes to me back to, I think, March 17th, when Jerome Powell painted himself in a corner. I don't think he needed to paint himself into by saying, listen, we're not raising rates effectively until 2023. We're on autopilot once again going back to October 2018, the wrong type of autopilot. And then you had Bullard come out, I think it was April 22nd, and somehow linked vaccination rates to tapering. And obviously, you know, he came out with that. I think that was a bit of a test balloon. So I think that's what's going on here. I think a lot of people are floating test balloons off the back of the the corner that Jerome Powell painted himself into. By the way, all that said, being bullish is being right in this market. And I have not been nearly bullish enough. And, you know, the Fed clearly does have our back. But some of this rankling and some of this rhetoric, it has to start thinking that maybe the corner they paid themselves into, they're trying to extract themselves from. I think ultimately the question tonight is, is the market too complacent about the Fed having its back? When you have these pressures coming from the White House, you have an economy that is roaring back at this point. Companies on their conference calls talking about inflation left and right. And Guy mentioned Bullard uh, basically tying vaccination rates with tapering. 75 percent is what he said. Well, President Biden just today said he's aiming for 70 percent by July 4th. That really lines up pretty well here with this whole narrative of maybe higher rates should be on their way, Tim. 
I, I think they should. And I, I think also, you know, the comments to me, the second derivative of today is it's OK to have higher taxes to pay for all this spending that's going to lead to higher interest rates and inflationary pressure. To me, it was all wrapped up in today. And I, I guess I tended to read through certain parts of the market to the sense that that whether it's capital gains tax, whether it's overall taxes, whether it's taxes on some of the companies that have had the lowest effective tax rate, that was the pressure on the market. But 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 yes, um, at some point, the markets have to address all of this. And the minute you get a whiff that the Fed is not backing off these at, even innuendo, it, it's time to really, really batten down the hatches because we saw how quickly uh, the VIX took off. So, yes, I think uh, you have to be very concerned about that. You also had Richmond Fed, who's a voting member of the Fed, Barkin, talking about uh, defining what substantial progress might be actually in the economy and gave a ratio of, of population to job, job openings to population and at least um, how we can begin to quantify that. And, and started to look to the near future to begin to quantify that. So it was another message in there today. You know, um, Guy had mentioned being bullish and, and that being the right trade through all of this, whether it be trial balloons or whatever you want to talk about rising rates, being bullish was the right thing. But you don't want to stay too long at the party, at any party, right? You don't want to be the last person there nursing a drink with the lights <laughs> coming back on. So the question here is, I mean, Karen, whether it be through capital gains taxes, corporate taxes, uh, getting raised, or maybe rates going higher. Is the party about to end? And are the markets actually grappling with that now? Is that, is that what we're seeing in sort of the price action of the markets in the past few days or so? Well, I think for some parts of the market, the party might have ended already. You know, when you look at the super high flyer names, the ones with, you know, gigantic P.E. multiples, they've come in a lot, right? They're already hung over. The party, the party is, I think... You know, pretty much not over, but the, the best of the party's gone for a lot of those names, the ones, you know, the super high flyers. But I think that I wouldn't read that much into what Yellen said. I think, you know, the, the one thing that I think the Fed and the Treasury want to do is be clear. And that wasn't what happened today. And I think it was a misstep. And I just take it as a misstep. And I agree completely with Guy's interpretation of the press secretary saying the president agrees with his secretary of the treasury. I think that that as a policy, he's always going to agree with his cabinet members and take it up behind closed doors if they don't agree. So I don't read anything to that either. But all that having been said, we are seeing inflationary pressures. So it can't be that rates will be, you know, forever low in the face of that pressure. The question, though, is, are we going to see a transitory inflationary bubble or not? And I, I'm sort of betting on that there will be more prolonged inflation and then ultimately the Fed will have to move. But I don't see it in the near term still. Now, when's the time to get out of the party? I don't know. Um, I'm still in it. I'm long. I'm always long. I will be that, you know, idiot last person with the drink in my hand because I'll always be long, even when the, you know, the Fed has left the building and started, you know, turned on the lights of, infl of uh, raising rates, I'll still be there. But I don't think this is a very near-term issue. Yeah. All right. Grasso, what, what do you think? And, and I'm going to put, I'm going to throw this into the conversation. And that is there is a Bloomberg report um, that asked, had asked Jared Bernstein, all right, top economic advisor, about Jerome Powell uh, and his term ending in February of this coming year. And he sort of demurred on, on, on the question. He, he basically punted. He didn't want to say yes or no, and I understand that, but that's still sort of 
opens that door that maybe Jerome Powell, even though he's saying that rates are going to stay low through 2023, he might not be around. He might have left the party by that. <laughs> he, he might have. But just think about it this way. The last time Janet Yellen uh, raised rates, uh, December 2017, what did the market do? The market sold off 11 percent uh, in pretty short order, and it tested the 200-day moving average. The 200-day moving average right now is at 3,600 or thereabouts. If we test, if, if, the, if rates do rise, I think that will be the, uh, to your point, your analogy of the, the last person in the room with a martini glass in, in her or his hand. I think that's what will happen. That will be the, uh, the, the, the thing that breaks the camel's back. But to Guy's point about a trial balloon and, and to your point about that, I think that the Fed, Melissa, is uh, perplexed still with no sign of inflation where they think they want to have it. We have a 10-year that went that maxed out at 1.74. It's at 1.59. I think she's doing it to goose people's idea that there's still inflation there. There's a host of reasons why we don't have inflation. Global supply chain back online. Uh, technology, automation, aging of, of the population, they become savers. I think we're, we're still in a deflationary environment, and hopefully we can have that Goldilocks approach where inflation or rates are in that sweet spot. I think that's where we're at right now. All right, well, let's um, get more into today's market action tech. So you mentioned before getting wrecked today. Let's bring in Tom Lee of Fundstar Global Advisors. Tom, great to have you with us, especially on a day like today. You have been an ardent bull through all of this, and rightly so. So what did you make of Janet Yellen's comments, and what would it do to your bullish thesis if the Fed really started throwing out the notion that rates may not stay this low for, for, this, for as long as we had predicted? Um, I mean, I think her comments are appropriate, but, I, you know, days like this are noisy. Um, you know, we're only... 12 months out of a depression. I'm not sure in the history of economic monetary policy, central banks tighten so quickly after coming out of, the, of a, de a depression event. Um, so I, mean, I just think, you know, it, there is going to be higher rates in the future, but talk of inflation triggering the Fed to chase that, I, I think it's noise. Yeah, Tom, listen, you've been steadfast, and I think you're going to continue to be um, but is it is it time now to sort of take a reallocation approach? In other words, Karen mentioned it. Steve yeah. has mentioned it. You know, some of these high flyers have sort of not gone by the wayside, but clearly giving a lot back. I mean, is it time now to readjust and to look at things that have been out of favor and now seemingly becoming in favor? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when we talk to our clients, our institutional investors, they're more than market weighted in work from home and mega cap growth and FANG. Part of it is liquidity, but the market's super crowded in, in those names and, and they've been awful and they're absolutely the wrong stocks to own if the economy's reopening. So, you know, I think, you know, we're still in the camp that this S&P is going to make a move towards 4,400 first uh, before summer. And then I think, you know, as Grasso points out, probably then we could have a correction towards the 200 day. But the real bludgeoning is going to take place in that mega cap, stay at home, fang, you know, digital world complex of stocks. And I think the real opportunity is, is really in things that are pro economy or, or what we call epicenter stocks. 
Hey, Tom, when I've favored the chemical names to the point that Guy just brought up to the restarting the economy, you favored energy names. And on the back of oil, uh, seeming as though it wants to break out, would you be in E&P? Would you be in refiners? Would you be in services? Where do you see the opportunities here with all of them being up and services being up the least out of that bunch? Um, yeah, interestingly, I, I think the entire energy complex is a buy um, because, you know, oil, the, the, structurally, the industry and also the energy companies are really seeing the best supply-demand alignment in more than 10 years. And now oil looks like it's really retraced a lot of its decline. In, and if it breaks through 68, you know, then reaching $80 by the summer is, is, would be pretty reasonable. And a group like the Oilfield Services, which is at like 190 today, it's never been below uh, 450 if oil's at 70, and it's never been below 600 if oil's at 80. So the group could, you know, just OIH, for instance, could almost triple up 250% and a move to oil that is really in line with the Goldman target of $80 oil. So I think energy is, is really one of the best risk rewards right now, but it does tie into the idea that commodities are going to benefit from a reflation move, but it's not creating the kind of inflation that the Fed needs to react to. Tom, I was wondering if you can, uh, you know, give us a little more nuance uh, behind that run to 4,400 and then that pullback down to the 200-day moving average. That run to 4,400, is that where the biggest sort of um, drawdown in, in, the, in the big cap tech names happens, the, the high flyers, the high valuation names? And then what happens on that big pullback? Do we see another, another churn rotation into them? <clears throat> Uh, that's right, Melissa. I mean, it's, I think it's, we're in a tricky moment. I think that's why people are seeking protection in the VIX because the S&P has been laboring, um, even small caps, and only a, few, a handful of sectors really look healthy. But we also know investors are really cautiously positioned. And we also know that companies have delivered guidance that's pretty impressive, and especially for some of the cyclical groups. And I think once some of the tail risks come off, I think right now people are focused on the risk from India. And if India sort of starts to see an improvement and the catastrophe, both from a healthcare and an economic perspective, diminish, then I think it's back to risk on. And that's how we propelled at 4,400. Mm. And it's not, a, it's not really you know, a level that's, uh, I mean, look, a lot of people have S&B targets around that. I just think it's going to happen mid-year. And then... Clearly, it makes sense that we are going to have a, some sort of correction this year, something deeper than the 7% we've had. And I think a 10% would just touch the 200-day from 4,400. All right. Tom, always great to speak with you. Thank you. Thanks. Tom Lee of Fundstrat. Um, that call on oil is a tremendous one from Tom Lee. XLE up potentially 250%. If oil does get to $80, so not pricing in right now a recovery to $80 um, a barrel, Tim, what do you think? Tom's comment about the structural uh, balance in the oil and gas sector is really important and where we haven't been in a long time because oil companies haven't had CapEx, haven't been able to deploy, haven't been able to grow at all costs like they did a decade ago. Uh, Then you had supply disruptions. Now you've actually got a case where you're going to have demand outstrip uh, at least some of the supply dynamics in the short term. In other words, taking some of the oversupply out of the market. If you see continued move in inflation, you want to own energy. Best of breed names. 
talked about OIH. How about Schlumberger, a name I'm long, so people know I like that name. Uh, CVX, best of breed on the integrateds. And then EOG, uh, to me, is really the best of, of those that are also heavily involved in, in the renewables business. But best of breed, great balance sheet, innovative company. Those are names that, that have had a good run. OIH and oil services have really lagged this move in energy. So that was the point just made, and I would, I would agree with that. In a world in which Tom Lee is right, Guy Adami, what happens to some of these tech names that have posted actually pretty decent earnings, maybe even upside surprises, and not done anything in terms of stock moves or gone lower? Well, well, the two names you're talking about embedded in there, I think, is Amazon. And again, kudos mm -hmm. to Steve. But I mean, Amazon traded right up to the September high of 3,500 and change and apparently has failed. Why do I say apparently? Just look at the last two days price action. Classic double top. I mean, it should find support around 29.50. That's been support before. Same thing with Apple. Again, Apple, we talked about it the night of earnings that when it was trading 138, I said, you know, the stock should be a lot higher given this report. And I didn't know where it was going to go, but it didn't really react. And now here we are at levels. 122 is support there. And then the last thing, and the sort of the elephant in the room, and I'm sure I'm going to get added at by everybody, Quite frankly, you know, 10 years ago, Janet Yellen could comment all she wants about interest rates. In her current role, she shouldn't really be saying anything about interest rates. If you think about it, that's the gorilla in the room with the 800-pound elephant, whatever you want to call it. So the fact that she's even commenting to me <laughs> is problematic. But that's me. Well, it's interesting. In her sort of a clarification of it, she said, you know, if there's anybody who's sensitive to Fed independence, it's me. If there's anybody who understands fully the implications right. of actually making the statements in the first place, it should be Janet Yellen. And yet here we are. All right. Coming up, a big green arrow in today's sell-off. We'll tell you what sent this name soaring and how to trade a plus aside from a busy market. Say it's a busy earnings night. We've got all the big reports out for you. Lyft, Caesars, Activision, all on the move. We'll bring you the numbers next. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Lyft. The stock is rocketing higher right now, up by more than 6%. The company's conference call is underway. Let's get to Deidre Bosa, who's got the details. D. Yeah, Melissa, they are rocketing higher. They were volatile at first, but they decidedly moved higher on guidance that was just outlined on the call. The company expecting Q2 revenue of between $680 and $700 million, representing growth of more than 100% as it laps the bottom of covid also accounts for revenue from bikes and scooters doubling quarter over quarter. Now, in terms of adjusted EBITDA loss, Outlook calls for a loss of between 34 and $45 million 
before breaking even in the third quarter. So the ride-sharing recovery, that continues, and Lyft is emerging a leaner, more efficient company. Still, though, there are questions around driver supply and gig worker status. On the call, CEO Logan Green called the driver shortage an industry-wide dynamic and said that they are focused on achieving a better balance in Q2 and beyond. President John Zimmer then said that higher earnings could actually lead to better supply. Have a listen. In some of our busiest markets, drivers have been earning around $35 per hour on average. We believe more drivers may return to the platform or sign up to drive for the first time based on these dynamics. So that would be sort of organic supply coming back online. And Lyft also said that riders have been less sensitive to price increases. But as one analyst pointed out, higher driver wages and higher rider costs likely untenable in the longer run. Zimmer responded by saying balance is the name of the game. And we shall see how that plays out, Melissa. Just before I jumped on TV, finally, a question on gig worker status and labor regulation Execs said that Prop 22, that was the landmark ballot in California that went in their favor. Uh, The company said that was a good model that they would try to replicate and that would cost uh, potentially less than it did the first time they went through that battle. Back over to you. All right, Deidre, thank you. And by the way, be sure to tune into Squawk Box tomorrow for a first on CNBC interview with Lyft president and co-founder John Zimmer. Let's trade Lyft, which is now up by more than 7% in the after-hour session. Uh, Grasso, what do you make of this? I mean, it sounds like... Uh, it's back to pre-pandemic levels, and it sounds like it's made, or the, at least Zimmer believes, that perhaps some changes have been made to the business model. Some dynamics might persist, which may make it a better model than pre-pandemic. Yeah, and, and, and to what Deirdre was just talking about, the gig worker status, that's the real uh, issue that we're dealing with. And uh, just a couple of days ago, I, I believe it was uh, end of last week, Biden administration said that they should be looked upon and he would like them to be looked upon as employees. That's going to be a headwind that's going to continue through this uh, through this cycle or through this administration. Obviously, this is a get back to work stock. And I was looking at a chart right uh, when Deirdre was talking. It, It tested or was below the 100 day moving average the last time in November. It's below. It was below it now until it popped after hours. This chart is a little more devastating than Uber's chart. So you know what I like to do, or would you rather? I'd rather Uber at this point, but I think both of them are due for a sustained pop higher, and they could probably hold these levels. But I would watch the 100-day on Mm -hmm. both of the stocks, the uh, Uber and Lyft. You mean you like to be recalcitrant, but uh, I'll, I'll let that go. Um, Karen, you know, good part word. of this reopening is <laughs> its a very good word, right? Um, part of this reopening is that people are going back to work. They, don't, may, they may not necessarily feel comfortable yet taking mass transportation. But if, if costs are higher, eventually that may go away, especially as the economy reopens, people get vaccinated, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you wonder sort of how much of this sort of halo lasts for, for the ride sharing companies. Uh, well, especially since a lot of people ended up buying cars, used cars, new mm. cars, right? Um, so I'm not sure. Definitely this would be a Tom Lee epicenter stock, right? The reopen trade. I mean, these were some pretty impressive numbers. I think Uber is actually up a couple bucks on the heels of these numbers uh, because they were pretty impressive, both the numbers and the, and the guidance. So uh, I think there's more to run. I like what Lyft has been doing. I like the pure playness of it. I like them selling the autonomous driving, which was subscale anyway, um, and really trying to slim down the balance sheets in decent shape. So 
I don't own it. Um, it's not the craziest valuation if you, if you think that. I do believe that they will get to EBITDA break even, and we'll see how it accelerates from there. If I, if I, can I, would, would you rather myself? I would, you know, you may do it, Uber. Karen. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, Tim Seymour, Karen makes a very good point in terms of paring down to focus singularly on ride sharing. And if you like that sort of, um, you know, trade with the reopening, then you got to like Lyft. And I guess the question is, do you like that trade? I, I like Lyft. I like Uber more. By the way, speaking of likes, you notice that Steve said, you know, I like to you know, do self would you rather. I was thinking, but Melissa doesn't like when you do that. But, Thank you. Uh, uh, but anyway, you have a case here where <laughs> the investment that Uber has made. You did it, you did it too. Made, you just I, did I, it. Yeah. Well, Everybody do what they want tonight. All right. It's just up for grabs on Fast Money. <laughs> do whatever you want. Play whatever game you want. I'll just sit here and smile and read the teas. Go ahead. Well. All right. So I was I was a little creative in, in my my doing it. But but the bottom line here is the investment that Uber has made into their food delivery business and transportation as a service business, uh, logistics ERP. Remember, this sounds a little bit like investments that Amazon was making at times. People didn't understand it. They thought it was too complex. I, I think I think this is to be invested alongside of with Uber. And I think it's been already proven to give them an advantage, especially as we do open and the operational leverage in their business. So they've all gotten leaner and meaner mm-hmm. coming out of this. They're all better run companies. They all have tailwinds of demand. Uh, the driver dynamics, yes, they're going to lean into the driver experience is what, what Lyft just told you because they have to. They have no choice. And, and I think the drivers are in a much better position now for as long as demand is this strong. It won't always be this way and the business will calibrate backwards. But right now, Uber's the better trade. Quick comment to Guy Dami. I respect your authority, so I'm anything but recalcitrant. And I would, would you rather, I would be in Lyft. And I will tell you, their pathway to profitability is clear. Their losses were half of what the street was looking for. And I think it takes out that $68 high we saw in mid or so March. I shall smile now and read the teas. <laughs> Coming up, it may have been a big down day for tech, but there were a couple of green sheets to be found in the rest of the market. We'll bring you the names and the trades next. Plus, speaking of tech, options traders are betting on more downside ahead for Twitter. We'll hit the pits, bring you the details on that straight ahead. We've got much more when Fast Money returns. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. It may have been a bad day for big tech with the Nasdaq dropping nearly 2%, but it wasn't entirely a sea of red out there. Check out the resource trade led by Cleveland Cliffs and U.S. Steel soaring today. Credit Suisse upgrading both names to outperform, citing higher steel prices. Guy, we have talked a whole lot about Cliffs and X for a long time now. Tim has, without question. I mean, we've all talked about it at different times. I mean, you go back to U.S. Steel I think it was March of 2018. It was a $45 stock, seemingly going significantly higher when everything went down on the China tariff front. And obviously, you saw how low the stock traded. I would submit, and I think Tim would agree, we're in a better environment now 
for steel companies than we were three years ago. And by definition, these stocks should be higher. I'm surprised they're not higher than they are right now, but I understand sort of the stair step they're taking. And the Cleveland Cliffs, we're talking about an eight-year high in a stock that still has room to the upside. So despite the fact that people will say these things are overextended, and I understand that, personally, I still think there's room to the upside. Yeah, Tim, how about you? Uh, yeah, so Guy's right. Uh, and referring to the good cycle, it's it's a super cycle. That's what Credit Suisse called it. And as someone that's invested through uh, another one of these uh, back in kind of late 90s into 2005 and six, and really topping out at the crisis in 08, uh, all these inflationary dynamics we're talking about, too, are part of this story. All of the things we talked about in the energy sector in terms of right-sizing supply and demand uh, and industries and miners that have really cut back, I mean, that's all going on here. China tariffs now actually mean that that U.S. companies have the highest margins in the steel world. Uh, with HRC prices at 12-year highs, these are very profitable companies. Remember, U.S. Steel gave that one-cent dividend the other day. It was symbolic. It said that the balance sheet's not an issue. And granted, they could make it a larger dividend, but that's not the point. Um, so, yes, I, I do think these things should trade higher. You don't buy commodity stocks when they're cheap. You buy them when they're expensive. And, and this is starting to uh, get interesting, actually. I, I think you, you broke through those March 31 uh, closing highs today, and I think the stock's setting a new leg higher. A super cycle in some of these resource stocks, though, Karen, and particularly the metal stocks, means bad news for companies that use those metals as inputs. And I know that yeah. you're long some of those names. Well, you mean something like a United Rentals that... that or a Whirlpool, yep. machinery, mm -hmm. all uh, of that. Or a Whirlpool. Auto. Okay, yes, the Whirlpool. But I would point to... Auto. As it, I would point to, though, particularly for Whirlpool, thank you for bringing it up, those discretionary, uh, I'm sorry, durable goods order numbers today were really good, and that's X-Auto, so that's exactly something like a Whirlpool. But I also, just getting back to Cleveland Clips and Steel, I want to say kudos to Guy and Tim, who have been on this for a really, really long time and caught that great commodity cycle when commodities really move, especially when they have levered balance sheets and really move, then really good things happen to the stock. For me, I, you know, the most sort of industrial kind of thing I have would be like a United Rentals or um, a FedEx. So, um, and Whirlpool, I guess. But I'm happy with this. Yep. Coming up, social media stocks slammed and one option trader is betting on more downside ahead. We'll hit the pits for that trade and more. Plus, we've got more earnings to get to. Caesars and Activision both on the move in the after hours. Those details next when Fast Money continues. Welcome back to Fast. We are uh, looking at Caesars, up 7% on earnings. Contessa Brewer's got all the details. Contessa. Okay, let me get rid of the uh, call as I'm listening to this right now here, Melissa. Here's the deal. Caesars joins its competitors in this blowout demand in March, way above expectations. 13 properties in March set all-time records for profit margins. March EBITDA alone, almost half the first quarter number, EBITDA. CEO Tom Reek says on the call, this doesn't tell the whole story. He's talking about April numbers now, preliminary, and that all-important profitability metric, EBITDA, for those who don't know, is like earnings before interest and taxes and all the rest. Last month, it came in more than $300 million in consolidated earnings. Okay, that's more than 25% higher than 2019 numbers, something he's highlighting on the call. And these margins over 37% consolidated margin, a 1,000 basis point improvement over 2019. If you adjust for hold, 
That is luck. It's almost 47% margins. And by the way, April's traditionally not particularly a strong month. Vegas was only 84% occupied, and Tom Reek says that will go higher in May and June. He doesn't give guidance normally, but he says he's looking at a run rate here for this year of $4 billion consolidated. Um, and if you think about what the analyst expectation is for this year, $2.4 billion. They've got $100 million of free cash flow right now. They're going to pay down debt. And there's lots of questions by analysts and investors about whether the broad reopening would lure some of these gaming customers away from the casinos. Reek says, look, these forward bookings are extremely strong. And the group and convention bookings, there's a vast amount of business that is new to Caesars, some 80% of the bookings, brand new to Caesars. So looking really good for them for 2021, Melissa. All right. Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer and Caesars is now up almost 9% on the back of this very, very optimistic forecast. Um, Steve Grasso, I guess everybody got, you know, they got out and they hit the casinos. I mean, they, you lock people up for a year and this is what happens, right? They want to do something. They want to have experiences. This is, this is, it's worth noting that the pandemic low in Caesars was $6. This stock is trading above $100 right now. It tests the 50-day habitually, as I like to say, for, the, for uh, this whole year or back to November. Let's even go back to November. Tested its 50-day 13 times. It was below the 50-day today. It popped dramatically. I, I would look for it to break above 104, Melissa. That's resistance in the stock. Near-term high was 106. I, I would just let this one breathe just a bit. This is something where we look at the reopening, but this is um, less bad, so not terrible. Get, let it breathe a little bit before you dive into it above 100. Guy, what do you think? Steve's right in terms of his levels. I mean, but I'll say this. You know, now William Hill, NFL's on board. I mean, everything is absolutely lying up for Caesar. So, no, oh, by the way, they're making investments in Atlantic City, which is just mind-boggling if you think about it. But they obviously are on to something. 106 was a recent all-time high. This quarter probably leads us to take it out. Maybe you get a blow-off top and an opportunity to buy it back in the low 90s. But I don't think it's going to be quick if it happens. I would rather stay with this name right here. Um, this stock is up 40% this year uh, so far. At some point, Tim, you look at these reopening plays and you think, how much of the reopening have they already priced in? And how much are we going to, when are we going to start looking forward to next year when they face difficult comps? Well, that, that's a view I have, uh, I guess, for the broader market. I, I think when you look at disposable income right now, especially as it's channeled into online sports betting, when you look at the new markets that have opened up, whether it's Michigan, New Jersey, the addressable market growth, it's extraordinary. Uh, and and I, I think, you know, overshoot is the name of the game. Uh, at some point, uh, and again, I'll, yeah, Steve did do a great job of the levels. I mean, who, who needs to invest in Dogecoin when you've got real companies that have moved even more than Dogecoin? Um, you know, 670 up to 100 bucks. It's, it's insane. So your question is a fair one. Um, I think the exposure here uh, to some of the online betting uh, casinos is something that I think they're going to have very strong numbers for the next six to nine months. Uh, we have so much demand, but more importantly, disposable income uh, that I think we've just started to spend. And, and I think these numbers are going to stay strong. All right. We've got uh, more earnings for you this hour after the break. It's game on for G Activision, I should say. The stock ripping higher in the after hours. We'll dive into the numbers, bringing the trade. Plus, social media stocks getting slammed today. And option traders are betting on a bigger breakdown for one name in particular. We'll break down the action. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got one more earnings alert for you. Activision Blizzard on the move higher after its earnings. Let's get to Josh Lipton, who's been listening in on the call. Hey, Josh. So, Melissa, remember heading into this print, Activision hadn't done a whole lot over the past three months. It was underperforming the market. It was off about 10% from its most recent 52-week high, but now higher in the after hours following this report. Caught up with Andrew Erkowitz over at Jefferies. He says Activision raising its fiscal year guidance signals confidence that Call of Duty continues to track well. It also suggests, Andrew says, that the next version of Call of Duty should be strong. He says this one is a buy. The company will beat tough comps, he's betting, and return to double-digit growth next year on the strength of new titles. On the call, CEO Bobby Kotick saying they delivered much better than expected results driven by Call of Duty, Warcraft, and Candy Crush. We have deep library of franchises, he says, and strong creative teams. Demand, he says, has never been stronger. Executives on the call saying their pipeline includes Diablo 4, Overwatch 2, and the new version of Call of Duty is looking great, they say. Question on the call was, as the world warms up now, any impact on player engagement? outside of normal seasonal trends. Executives saying we have seen some benefit from that shelter-from-home trend for sure over the past year, but much of the expansion, they said, is due to product initiatives. Bottom line, they said more people are gaming than ever before in more geographies on more platforms, and that will continue. Melissa, back to you. Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton, it is amazing if you think about what the pandemic has done to stocks like this, really helped them, right? And even out of the pandemic, they can raise their full-year forecast because it still helps them. I mean, reopening or pandemic, this stock is performing. Tim, do you buy that? You do. Uh, and and I, the valuation is hardly demanding. We've also talked about how some of the legacy media players may need to make a bigger splash into this area. So uh, I think like, ATVI could be uh, on the acquirer mode. They, they could be a target, although they're a large one. But the, the price isn't terribly rich on a valuation basis. And, and this is another one of these trends. From the demographic perspective, we knew who we're playing. But I think you've also brought in a much different group of gamers. And, and I think uh, the stickiness here, but also this isn't just because you were stuck indoors. This is because you were exposed. And, and I think you're going to see a lot more here. And I, I, I think you own all of these. I, I own ATVI. Uh, I own EA. Uh, I own Take-Two. Yeah. Guy? If memory serves, and it generally does, Activision was initiated by April 23rd <laughs> by Jeffries with a $120 price target. And my sense is they're going to raise that off of this quarter. Tim is right. I mean, these stocks, if you look, I mean, it held 90 Activision like a boss, as the kids say going back to December, and it should take <laughs> out the recent all-time high. So I'm with Tim on this one. Yeah. Grasso, quick thoughts on uh, video game stocks. I'm going to push back on, on both Guy and Tim. The, all the charts look terrible to me. I, I think the street was expecting a lot more back in February. They all sold off. Right now, they look great uh, just bouncing off the 200 days, but I would wait on these. I, I, I like Tim's idea about M&A. I think Apple, Google, or Amazon should be buyers of these names, but all of them look terrible technically. I'd stay away. If they can't perform during the pandemic and they're not at all-time highs now, there's less eyeballs, kids are back at school, stay away, hold on a little bit. All right, coming up, Twitter taking a tumble again today along with the rest of social media. And option traders are betting there could be even more pain for one name uh, in particular straight ahead. We'll tell you why. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back. There's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Goodyear Tire. Be sure to catch the full interview top of the hour on Mad Money. 
check out social stocks today. They got slammed, snap dropping more than 5%. Tomorrow could be a huge day for the trade as well. Facebook will decide whether or not to allow former President Donald Trump back onto the platform. Karen, what you make of the action today? So, well, the action was kind of ugly today. I think it was sort of more of a, you know, a technology sell-off than it was very specifically to, I mean, the names that I own that I look at are Google and Facebook. And to me, um, you know, to sort of throw out these two because evaluation doesn't really make sense, particularly Facebook. And I know they have this big decision tonight on what they're going to do with Trump. And I actually don't even know what either outcome means for the stock. But so for me, Facebook and, and Google, I think it's just noise. They're both they've reported huge numbers. They had big uh, the stock jumped a lot on the heels of both of those it gave back maybe about half. But uh, I wouldn't change my strategy on them. So I'm staying long both Facebook and Google. Is there an outcome that Facebook investors should care about, Tim? Uh, not sure. Um, I, I don't think so. I mean, I agree with Karen. Look, I, I don't think this has been a, a, an impact on the way out or possibly on the way back in. I, I think Facebook has been more of a regulatory story. It, it's been more of their ability to, to show that the small business is where they own it. It's it's a commercial one. It's a commerce one, I should say, around Facebook shops. And, and I think that's the story and evaluation that was cheap for a reason. Can it continue to re-rate? I think that's up to management. Grass, does Twitter a buy? Uh, if I had, if, if, well, you just, the, the are you going to do it? Would you rather, are you doing a self would you rather right now? Do you dare to do that again? You I, dare to I do that think, in the same broadcast? I don't, I don't exactly. Well, you did it for me. So, uh, when I look at Facebook, Facebook looks like it's going to roll over below 300, right, right about there. Uh, when I look at Twitter, that one looks like it's out of gas to me as well. So I, I wouldn't be a buyer of any of the social stocks right now. If you think about it, what's the first thing people reach for the sell button on? It's this uh, high valuation or, or uh, in need of growth. And Facebook's not that, but Twitter is, Snap is, uh, a host of all of the work from home stocks are. But uh, Facebook, I think you're safe, but I, I'm looking for a little pullback. Twitter, no touch for me right now. All right. Well, Twitter, by the way, has been down for seven straight days. So let's get to Mike Coe. Mike, what's going on here? What are you seeing in the options pits? Yeah, so Twitter traded about one and a half times. It's already considerable 20-day average options trading volume today. The most active options were the May 55 calls that expire at the end of this week. That was true yesterday as well. But a lot of yesterday's buyers turned seller today. And even as the stock recovered somewhat from midday to the close, those calls didn't, indicating that those were sellers. The trade that caught my eye, though, was actually out in September. Somebody rolled 3,000 of the September 47.5 puts down to 4,500 of the 45 strike puts. Not a big difference in terms of strike, but increasing their exposure nevertheless. By the way, they opened those 47.5 puts in early February. That was when the stock was considerably higher. It was trading around 70 at that time. So it doesn't seem like the options markets are overly optimistic at this point. Yeah, you agree with the options markets guy and what they're telegraphing? Well, I mean, it looks like they're telegraphing lower. Yeah. I'm on the other side of it, I think, if I heard Mike correctly. I think Twitter goes, goes higher from here. I mean, 54 seems to be a good level. Dan's mentioned it a number of times. He had a big volume day yesterday. Actually, today you have Kathy Wood involved now. Elliot's involved as well. You know, I think there's some legs here. I think people are too caught up in daily active users. I've said it before. 
Look at ad engagement. That more than offsets the lack of user growth. So I like Twitter here. I understand why people are selling it. I think it's a mistake. All right, Mike, thank you. Mike Coe for more Options Action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a sweet news alert before we close out the show. Krispy Kreme has confidentially filed to go public for a second time. The donut maker was taken private by JAB Holdings back in 2016. Karen, is, I mean, we've seen this time and time again. Private, public, private, public. <laughs> yes. Well, ironically, there has been no pure play donut play because Dunkin' Donuts was taken <laughs> private at the end of last year. So thankfully, now there's a, a hole that can be filled by Krispy Kreme. So that'll oh. be interesting. Oh. Also, I am long oh. WW Weight See Watchers, which reports tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Donut that's what I hole did. to be filled. Yeah. <laughs> See, Grasso. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a great idea. You know what the pandemic did? People who got sick. They don't give a crap about having a donut here and there, Melissa. I think it's a great <laughs> idea to spin this one back out. There's, there's a thousand, a little over a thousand worldwide. There's 363 locations in the U.S. I think this one is the right time, the right place. I think this one's going to be okay. Remember that article in the journal about the YOLO economy? You only live once. <laughs> I guess this falls into that. Why not have a glaze? Life is too short. Time for the final trade. Talk about short. Um, Steve Grasso. Trinseo was the only thing on my screen that was green today out of my holdings. TSE. Bye. Tim. I, I want Pop-Tarts to go public. I mean, where, what happened to those things? Anyway, uh, PBR, Petrobras, oil companies, emerging markets, Brazilian Real getting stronger. That's the trade. Karen. Yeah, I'm long Pfizer. They're trying to keep you alive. Good earnings today. The stock didn't really react that well. Cheap PE in a market like this, it's a good place to hide. Guy. Just say no to the donuts, Mel. Just say no. You don't have to do it. <laughs> it's easier. But Penn Gaming into earnings on Friday, I think that could be interesting. Need a lot of willpower, though. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.